Welcome to this week's ATP podcast with me, Chris Bowers, coming to you from the O2 Arena in London, which was the venue for the ATP finals for 12 years between 2009 and 2020. And it's been a tennis venue again this past week as the Labour Cup, the team tennis competition that pits Team Europe against Team World, has had its fifth staging here. And what an event it's been. Team World has won for the first time. Looking back on the events of the past three days with me, I'm delighted to be joined by Howard Fendrich, who's the tennis writer of the Associated Press News Agency and also a national writer for AP. Howard, if you think of the resources Europe had at its disposal and the the rankings discrepancy Team World had to concede in almost every match, this is a remarkable victory, isn't it? First of all, thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, Good to join you. Certainly, looking ahead to this on paper, one would say, gee, how does... Team World have a chance. Team Europe had, for the first time, all four members of that group known as the Big Four. Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray. Those guys have 66 Grand Slam singles titles among them, which uh, I believe is 66 more than all of Team World had. So, uh, But, of course, things happen along the way. Federer played just the one doubles match. Rafael Nadal also played just the one doubles match. Uh, And the much younger, much less experienced group uh, with a bunch of Americans on the team, including Francis Tiafoe, who wound up clinching the cup for Team World. They all played lights out. Obviously, the big story of this Labour Cup was Roger Federer's retirement. That's obviously given this Labour Cup a boost. Do you think it'll give the Labour Cup a boost in future years because of the profile it's enjoyed this year? You know, they say all publicity is good publicity, right? And certainly this got a lot more attention, I think, around the world than past editions of the Labour Cup. It was a monumental occasion, saying goodbye to Roger Federer, widely acknowledged as either the greatest or certainly one of the greatest tennis players in history, a statesman of the sport, seemingly well-liked by everybody who's ever spent a moment with him or watched him on TV, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, whether that will help in the future, I guess we'll find out in Vancouver in 2023. Uh, Certainly the draw of having him will no longer be the case, at least as a player, He left the door open. Who knows? He says he hasn't thought about it yet, uh, about being a captain perhaps in the future. Uh, John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg, who've been the captains for every edition so far, they both made it sound today like they'll be back in 2023, but maybe not beyond that. So who knows? Maybe we'll start seeing Team Roger against Team Rafa at the Labor Cup. Well, we'll get back to the Labour Cup shortly, but first let's focus on the end of the era, the retirement of Roger Federer. We knew for the previous week and a half leading up to the Labour Cup that Friday evening would be Federer's last ever match. And wow, what an occasion it proved to be. A very close doubles, which Federer and Nadal had a match point in before it went to Jack Sock and Francis Tiafoe. And then one of the most emotional nights in world sport. You've watched tennis for many, many years. How do you look back on that remarkable period after match point went to the... Uh, American pair. The uh, yeah, it was a remarkable moment. I think uh, anyone who paid any attention would have been struck by what an emotional time it was for everyone involved. I mean, Federer, who's been known to weep, uh, of course, cried. Uh, I think everyone was kind of uh, shocked a little bit or or taken aback by. Rafael Nadal's reaction, not just that he cried, but the way 
he really uh, spoke about Federer as being such an important part of his life, that the friendship the two of them developed away from the court, despite being such rivals on the court. And Nadal brought all his family with him. He did, He and he left. He, he, he's got some things going on in his life that made him probably not really want to be at the Labor Cup, frankly. He wanted to be home. That's why he left after that doubles match. But he said afterward, look, that was important to Roger, and so that made it important to me. Uh, and uh, just seeing his reaction and, and all of the players involved, as well as spectators and people watching at home, it, it, it was a moving moment. It was touching to hear Federer tell his kids, you know, don't worry these are tears of happiness, not sadness. Uh, the whole thing w- was unforgettable for anybody who was here or, or watching from afar. One of the things that struck me, when I walked out of the London Underground rail station that is next to the O2 Arena, there's this open area, of pedestrianised area, and they had a few stands there, including a stand for the Swiss Tourist Board in London. And I thought to myself, this is fascinating, because he's been Mr Switzerland for the past quarter century. Now he's gone, and here's a small country, I suppose Serbia faces the same thing in a couple of years' time, where people are going to wonder what to associate with a country because he's he's flown the flag hasn't he that's interesting i hadn't thought about that aspect of it i mean this is a guy who he's on a stamp in switzerland he's on a coin in switzerland but you know i, I thought it was interesting federer said uh, uh, a couple times alluded to the idea that the, he used the phrase this is not the end end uh, he used the phrase i'm not going to be a ghost so He still plans to be a very visible presence in tennis. He has had this important role uh, away from the court as well as on it in this sport. And I think he'll figure out ways to to maintain that. He talked to me about the idea of visiting tournaments that he's played in for 15, 20 years. Every year he's been a fixture at these places. He doesn't want to disappear entirely. Maybe he'll just go back for an exhibition match, maybe just to wave to the fans, which will mean something to those people who get to see him. Uh, I, I don't think he'll, he'll be gone entirely from the sport, and so therefore that role that you described and others he'll have a hand in still. Well, like many players, Roger Federer's had a number of coaches, but one man has been in his camp pretty much from the start, certainly since one of Federer's childhood mentors, Peter Carter, was killed in a car crash in 2002. In the subsequent reshuffle of his team, allied with a reshuffle in the Swiss Davis Cup team, Federer brought in Severin Luti, once a promising Swiss junior, but someone who decided that life on the tour was not for him. I asked Luti what part of Federer's career he cherishes most. I think what I appreciate most is that he's a nice guy, you know. Um, honestly, for me, it became difficult to see him like a, a superstar, a global superstar, Um you know, I've um, I've been for such a long time with him. Uh, I, I saw him al- many days. Um, so yeah, you look at the, at the person maybe different. You know, it's then almost a bit weird when you're getting out and everybody is screaming. You know, so. Um, but for for me, I have a lot of respect um, for for what he did. And uh, again, like I said, I think uh, for me, it's even more important to to see him as as a nice person that he is you know as somebody who's part of his inner circle you've obviously had to keep quiet about a lot of things because very little has leaked from team federer 
Is there a sort of a bond between all the members that you don't talk about outside things or is it just the way it's worked out? I, I think it's especially um, also because I wanted to do it like that. Um, obviously, there were things that, um, you know, when we talked about it or we said this should not go out. Um, but it's also my nature, you know, I'm not somebody who uh, likes to go out with details and uh, show everybody how important I am because uh, I know uh, stuff, you know. So uh, for me, yeah, I, I always liked uh, to be in the background a little bit. And um, yeah, I think at the end, my biggest interest was also um, to give him the possibility to play well, you know. And I know I knew that if um, if there's rumors, if there's too much talking, if he would not be uh, able to uh, to trust me, then um, it's also not ideal for his tennis. And I always uh, wanted him to to be able to play uh, as good as he could, uh, to be happy. Also, I think it's very important. He's such a happy person and. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to add any problems. That's why I think for me it was completely natural to to not say that many things. But I presume you had lots of friends who said, "Come on, tell tell us what's happening inside." Yeah, but I think at um, at the end, if uh, if they realize what you're talking about or what you're not talking about, um, it stops. Also, you know, for me it was also a little bit like that with the press. Um, the press people always knew that um, I didn't give that many interviews. Um, I know it would have been maybe good for, uh, for me to promote myself, but that was never my goal. So um, press also, you know, they um, they don't call you every day anymore if, if they know that they don't get a lot. Um, so um, it makes sense also, you know, you don't have more work to do than yeah you you should at the end you want to focus on your job and my job was to to be his coach and i wanted to do it as good as i possibly could as a boy you obviously had dreams of being a top tennis player you got into the top 600 do you feel in retrospect that you have had a good tennis career as being part of the roger federer story yeah for sure no i mean uh, as a player you have to really um, be on an incredible level, you know, to to live what you you lived in, in with Roger's career now. So I'm I'm very fortunate, you know. It's also nice. Um, yeah, Roger always had a group of people around him. I think that's also something um, I like. Uh, I think it's tough, you know, if you're I don't know 150 in the world and uh, you have to travel on your own. Um, it's not that easy, you know, so I always like to have a team uh, around uh, and, and also like in Davis Cup, you know, there's also a team. Um, so this is something I really liked. And, and I think um, for me to, for my own tennis career it would have been difficult. You know, that's probably also a reason why I stopped that early uh, playing because, uh, yeah, honestly, I felt pretty lonely there. And um, uh, but with uh, with Roger's career, I could uh, maybe live uh, what I didn't do uh, in my own career. And finally, is there a moment that stands out that you may be boring your friends with 20 years from now when you look back at his career? Is there one moment that you think, you know, that was a pretty special time? Yeah, luckily um, I'm I'm spoiled, but um, it's it's almost tough to you know um, take one uh, win or one emotional 
um, thing out of the the whole th the whole story. You know, um, I think there was many, and the more I think about it, uh, the more I realize, oh yeah, this this was special. That's what happened then. If I would have to say four, it would maybe be uh, Australian Open 2017, you know, um, unbelievable uh, comeback. And uh, after such a long break at uh, the, the age of 36 or 35, um, then there was um, uh, Davis Cup uh, comes in, into my mind, um, Olympic gold medal with uh, with Wawrinka. Um, it's tough to to know which one uh, to pick but also like every Wimbledon uh, title was unbelievable so yeah there's a lot I think uh, uh, I should take some time and do a, a ranking but it's also tough to compare those moments you know there were so many nice ones that it's um, you don't want to say which one was better they they were all uh, very special I'm sure we can all agree with that. The understated Severin Luti talking to me, and you can hear a longer version of that interview on the ATP podcast channel from this Wednesday. Howard, do you have a moment in Federer's career that you look back on and will probably stand out when you think of Federer in years to come? There are a lot of moments, I think. Uh, one in particular that still strikes me vividly to this day is at Wimbledon in 2003 when he won his first Grand Slam title the way he collapsed to the grass and was bawling just he sat on his sideline chair couldn't stop crying just to see that emotion and how he spoke afterwards about just that sense of relief because he knew this kind of thing was expected of him and then there were questions about whether he could actually do it he had lost in the first round of the French Open a few weeks prior, uh, and he finally had number one. I mean, who could have known that day? Uh, he'd end up with 20 major championships like that, I think. Uh, and uh, I also think after some of his losses, the way he handled those, those tears that came in Australia in 2009, anybody who saw that won't forget that. Uh, you know, never afraid to show his emotion, not afraid to be sort of honest and real when discussing whether it was the highlights or, or the, the setbacks that, that are also part of Roger Federer's story. Yes, I'd probably pick two. One would be the 2017 Australian Open, not just because he came back to win it after six months off, but he was 3-1 down in the fifth set. I'd done the second and fourth sets for radio, and it was... Uh, when he was 3-1 down, I thought, OK, that's it, game up. And it's not just that he came back, it's the way he came back, hitting those high topspin backhands, which I wasn't sure he was capable of hitting. That, for me, is greatness. And the other is those run of very weird results in 2008. He was absolutely crushed in the Roland Garros final. He lost his Wimbledon title, really in unfair conditions. I mean, it was far too dark to play by the time they finished. And then he goes and wins the gold medal, in doubles in the Olympics with a very impressive run with Stan Wawrinka and then waltzes through the uh, US Open. It was an amazing turnaround and I suppose that's what makes him great. There are a lot of things I think that a lot of people would point to that, that made Federer great, uh, again, on and off the court. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that 2017 sort of reinvention and comeback, I mean, this is a guy who for a number of reasons, including, I think, his style of play, had never dealt with a serious injury, really, until then, until that 2016 uh, knee problem in the left knee. Of 
course, now it's the right knee that's had three operations in succession. That's part of, or a big part of, why, why he's not returning to the tour. Uh, but that the way he came back from that physical setback and the way he reinvented himself, as you said, in particular with that backhand uh, working the way it did, we're, we were so used to for many years that the slice backhand from Federer and seeing the way he came up with this new way of going after Nadal while trailing in that fifth set of the Australian Open final really was another of many remarkable moments. And if you look at his backroom team, I mean, he didn't always have a coach. There were some years he didn't play with a coach. He had Peter Lundgren, he had Tony Roach, Jose Higueras, Paul Anacone, Stefan Edberg, and in the end, Ivan Lubacic. But one person consistently was Severin Luti. And I think in a way, that's interesting for the way he managed his backroom team, his entourage, that everybody knew the role that they were playing and they were all pulling in the same direction, which isn't the case with every player. Yeah, that's true. I also think it's interesting the way Federer has made very sure to give a lot of credit to those folks you just mentioned in, in uh, as he reaches the end of his playing career now. I, I sat down with him this week in London, and one of the things he said that I found interesting was he said, uh, you know, people will sit in the stands and watch me play, and they'll say, and then he kind of lowered his voice to whisper, and he said, oh, my God, look how incredible he is. And he does it all alone. And Federer laughed at that. And he said, I mean, of course I didn't do it all alone. I couldn't have been the person I was, the player I was, and as successful I was without the help that I got through the years from these various coaches and physios, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it's, uh, you know, a, a sort of humility and credit sharing that, that we don't always hear. So as Roger Federer puts down the competitive racket for the last time in his career, he, alongside some of the greatest players ever to have played the men's game, have been speaking about what tennis means to them, their achievements and the legacy they feel they leave behind. Coming up, the voices of Andre Agassi, Rafael Nadal, Bjorn Borg, Novak Djokovic and Pete Sampras. But the first words have to come from the Swiss maestro himself. You do look back and... uh... You do appreciate the fight and the battle. We are in entertainment at the end of the day as well, and uh, the people I hope were entertained and had a good time. Well, number one is obviously a huge thing. That deep feeling you have inside of yourself that you're just very proud and you feel like all the hard work has all come and paid off. For me, it's very important to leave the game better off. We had a great platform when we came onto the tour. It's important that the players have a good image, that kids and juniors can look up to us and say, I want to maybe be like him. History continues to be made by Roger Federer. Arms aloft. Title number 100. It's all sort of worked together to to really teach me a lot in life. I mean, I've really enjoyed these last 20 years, even though there have been so many moments that were that were tougher than others, but um, I think overall it's just the relationships you really grow to love and miss the most. Agassi lifts his arms into the air and the crowd responds. My hope is that I've left the game better off. That's what I really hope. I mean, I'm better off for the game. Somewhere along the line, I hope I hope we're better off now than we were before before I came uh, I came into this scene. 
important you have a special feeling on court and you play with intensity, so that's really important for me. That is ridiculous from Nadal. I really feel the love of the people and that's, that's very important for, for everybody, I think. And when you are in a tournament and when you go, you go to practice, you, you go to the hotel and you see the people waiting for you or you go on court and you are there and the crowd support you, that's uh, an unbelievable feeling. No? So I just can say thank you very much all the people around the world. Every title is special, no? for sure the numbers are important for me, but the uh, most important thing I am able to, to play tennis again and to enjoy the sport. Rafa Nadal has secured the year-end number one in the ATP rankings for the fourth time in his career after 2008, 2010 and 2013. I, I can't complain at all. I, I have been in, in that position for such a long period of time. I did it a couple of times. I am just happy to play tennis then. Let's see what's going on with the numbers. Well, I think uh, what you try to achieve in life is uh, not you know, to be the best in the world. I mean, hopefully that's what you want to be. And, uh, you know, to win tournaments, Grand Slam, but, you know, to be number one. I mean, that says a lot. I'm the best player in the whole world. I mean, that's what players want to achieve. Uh, not everybody can achieve that thing, but uh, those who did, it's, it's a big satisfaction. I think that's what everybody wants to do. The whole season, the end of the year, I'm the best in the world. I think that's what the player uh, wants to achieve. Patience and believing in, in yourself and your abilities. I think that's something that when you're younger most of the people are lacking. You want everything to come right away and you want to experience the success uh, instantly, which is in most cases not possible. And what a victory! One thing is to visualize and to hope for, and the other thing is to actually be in the moment and try to take it slowly and uh, try to balance that. I always have a high expectations for myself. History is made in Cincinnati. Novak Djokovic becomes the first man in singles to capture all nine Masters 1000 titles. And I feel that there is uh, hopefully many more years physically, mentally, emotionally for me to carry, to enjoy and many more successful tournaments. This is your sixth Waterford number one trophy. You've done what no player's ever done before. We couldn't be more proud of you. Congratulations. To be consistent in any sport is tough to do, and, and six years in a row was a lot of work, some stress involved, and a great achievement. I mean, to really dominate that uh, six years was, was not easy, and I wanted it. I sacrificed and worked hard, and and won some tennis matches along the way, but it wasn't easy. The great Pete Sampras and before him Novak Djokovic, Bjorn Borg, Rafael Nadal, Andre Agassi and of course Roger Federer. But as we think of Federer's legacy, we move effortlessly to one area of that legacy, the Lever Cup. The event Federer set up in 2017, modelled loosely on golf's Ryder Cup. And if you look at the men's rankings, most of the top names are European. But now, for the first time in five stagings of the event, Team World has won. The underdogs went into the final day, trailing 8-4, which meant they needed three of the final four rubbers. In a remarkable turnaround, the red-clad team won the first three to take an unassailable 13-8 lead over the Blues. 
Felix Auger-Aliassime won both doubles and singles, including a singles win over Novak Djokovic to give him a second team title of the year after winning the ATP Cup for Canada in January. So how much input did Auger-Aliassime have into the decision to play him in the first two matches of the final day? No, it was a group decision. You know, I didn't take the decision myself. Uh, the captains didn't make the decision by themselves. We kind of, you know, sat down uh, at the table and thought, okay, uh, what's our best double teams? Of course, everybody plays well. You know, it's, it's not easy decisions. But um, at the end, yeah, we had to make one. We had to make one decision. And uh, we went with, you know, Jack and I as a doubles team. It was our first time playing, to get, playing together, so it's never easy. But uh, we're both, I think, you know, two good players. So we came up with some good tennis, uh, especially at the end in the third set. And we're able to clinch that important victory. And then, um, I mean, I didn't mind going back-to-back. That was never an issue, you know, to to go back-to-back. Actually, it was probably a good thing for me to to play doubles before. It got me really warmed up and loose uh, before the the singles. So, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It's been a great day. Um, Just really thrilled for, for the team and just really happy right now. You're a great team player, but we know that sometimes people discover things about themselves which help them on the individual tour. Is this something you've learned about yourself this weekend, maybe even today, that will help you in your future matches as an individual? I hope it will, and uh, I believe it will, actually. You know, um, it's been a fantastic weekend. I mean, I lost a tight one to Berrettini, but I played some great tennis. And even last week, you know, in Davis Cup, another team event, I played, came in clutch, you know, for the team and played some some great matches so um, hopefully I can bring that kind of level and and, 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 and tennis going forward uh, to the end of the season and next year as well so but for, to, for, for now we'll just enjoy the moment enjoy the, the win with the team because it's two this year ATP Cup and now Labour Cup yeah it's been it's been two great events two team events uh, yeah, ATP, ATP Cup was special and again you know today uh, getting the win as a team you know it's special because as individual players we don't get that chance very often, you know, to win with a team. And now to win with all these guys, it's, uh, it's an amazing feeling. An amazing feeling for Ogier Asim as a player and pretty amazing too for his captain, John McEnroe, successful at his fifth attempt as Team World captain. So how does this compare with some of the great moments he experienced as a player? Uh, well, obviously when you're playing, it's a whole different category. But uh, sort of after you sort of take a step back and sort of look at where you are in life um, and then get an opportunity to be involved in an event like this is pretty high up there actually um, Rod Laver was my idol and um, Roger Federer put this together so it doesn't get any better than that so um, being able to finally win because I was starting to wonder if I was ever going to win this thing so we stepped up big To what extent does being a captain satisfy a part of you that you could never satisfy as a player? Well, uh, you know, uh, as you get a little bit older, you uh, have to turn to different things. So being part of a team in a different way is is sort of equally awesome in a way. Maybe you're out there playing. There's nothing that compares to being the center court of Wimbledon or something. But uh, being part of something like this, um, you know, I'm going to say it's pretty high up there. John McEnroe savouring the moment. Howard Fendrich of the Associated Press is still with me. Howard, how big an upset is this Team World victory? Well, I mean, I guess it's hard to say in the sense that uh, who knows when you play team competitions. Uh, we saw roster shuffling uh, and, uh, you know, there isn't a reason why some of these young players who just have not yet accomplished in their careers what some of the older, better-known 
uh, and more successful so far players on Team Europe have done. Um, but, you know, for example, Francis Tiafo, who won the clinching match by beating Stefanos Tsitsipas, Tiafo's coming off an incredible run in New York. He reached his first Grand Slam semifinal. He beat Rafael Nadal there, let's not forget. He pushed Carlos Alcaraz in the semis and showed that at 24, he seems to have the game and the demeanor. He loves the spotlight. His teammates were calling him prime time here in London uh, to, to make that a more common occurrence for him than just a once-in-a-lifetime shot. I mean, he's got the uh, skills, the athleticism, the love of the big moment that we could see him at that stage again. For those of us fortunate enough to be here, the Labour Cup was a great success, and it was a great success for people watching on television. But in a way, the old Davis Cup was the same. It was great if you were in the stadium, but it didn't always transfer to the broader tennis world. Is there a danger that the Labour Cup might have the same challenge in years to come, especially without Federer as an on-court attraction? It could. You know, I I actually wrote a piece today for the AP looking at the future of the Labour Cup, and I kind of wondered aloud, do they need changes to the format? Could it make sense to have it be a joint event with women as well? Could you have team... Roger against Team Serena, let's just say. Could you have mixed doubles matches? That might be fun to watch. Uh, But what I think is potentially the greatest success moving forward for the Labor Cup is something we saw a little bit this time, and that is the, the chance to sort of hear the players talking to each other during changeovers, the, uh, the, the coaching that Federer gave Matteo Berrettini, for example, or Djokovic did, uh, the, some of the behind-the-scenes things that these guys talked about, revealing their personalities. It's all a bit more of a relaxed atmosphere than we're used to seeing these guys when they're at their most competitive, when they're vying for Grand Slam titles that they care so much about, etc. Uh, so I think it's okay that it's a bit more relaxed. It's okay that it doesn't have the same meaning as winning a trophy at the French Open or U.S. Open. Uh, And uh, the fact that it can be sort of this all-star collection of big names that fans want to tune into, having fun, can make for something that people around the world might want to keep paying attention to. Sounds from what we've heard this weekend as if Vancouver next year is going to be pretty similar to this year, probably Borg and McEnroe's captains. But it might be quite different by the time the competition returns to Europe in two years when it's scheduled to be in Berlin. Do you envisage the Labour Cup in Berlin being somewhat different to what we've seen this weekend? I don't think it would be a bad idea to contemplate some tweaks, whether it's, again, maybe we'll see. It sounded like from what they said today, there will be new captains. Uh, Maybe they could add like a skills competition element, the way some of the all-star sports in the U.S. do. Uh, Fastest serve or quickest reflexes or something like that. I, I think fans might be interested in seeing that. I don't know if the players would be as interested in participating. That begs the question, is the Labour Cup too European in its structure? Does it need something to appeal a little bit more to the American market? I think that could be. I think having players with personality like Tiafo, for example, 
from the states. Uh, there, there were also uh, Taylor Fritz was on this team, Jack Sock, another American, Tommy Paul, uh, another 24-year-old American, was an alternate for, for Team World. I, I tend to think that sort of thing can help uh, a sport like tennis in the U.S., having American faces to root for, to get interest in, to learn their stories. Well, one thing I thought that was interesting that Federer said when we spoke this week was he was talking about the future of tennis. And I asked him, look, I mean, we just saw Serena Williams walk away three weeks ago at the U.S. Open. Now it's your turn to retire. Those are two pretty big names in the history of tennis and the history of all sports, leaving at about the same time. Uh, what does that bode for the future of tennis? And he said, look, I think tennis will be okay because it's an individual sport that, where people learn the backstories of individuals and every individual's got a story to tell and that helps bring fans. He said, plus, you know, if you have good players like a guy like Alcaraz, uh, who Federer certainly sounds impressed by, I mean, he said, you know, he said to me that uh, Carlos is a better player than I was at his age, uh, which is no small compliment coming from that guy. Uh, you know, he said that there's talent out there, there are personalities out there, people will learn them, and that will all help keep tennis growing. Well, it's a very exciting time. And the team tennis landscape is still evolving on the ATP Tour, with a new men's and women's event likely to happen in the slot that the ATP Cup is currently holding and other possible changes under discussion. But there's clearly a role for a team variant of tennis, and as Thomas Enquist, Team Europe's vice-captain, explained to Jill Krabus, there's a lot of support for the Labour Cup format. It's an incredible event, I would say. The, the idea is just fantastic, I would say. It's a, it's a celebration of tennis. It's the best players in the world who, who are competing most of the times against each other in the biggest and fights for breaking records and writing tennis legacy and then suddenly they they become uh, teammates or or obviously they can play against each other they also depending on what side of the world you, you are living and uh, it's just a, an, an incredible concept i would say and and i've been lucky enough to to be able to to help you on board who's the, who's the captain right. and my, my my big hero uh, and uh, the energy from the crowd and it's something that I never experienced to be honest with you I've never seen fans that involved and and uh, yeah it's definitely my, my, my favorite event of the year and, and you brought up Borg your hero and obviously a lot of other Swedish legends that you brought up in the past what have you learned from those players that you looked up to uh, of course a lot for yeah. sure for sure I mean Björn is a it uh, has experience from from uh, so many years being in the top of the game and probably one of the men- most strong mental players that has been out there playing. Uh, he has a very interesting way of looking at matches and and, and uh, how so would you say? Can you uh, give us some it's, details? Well, it's, <laughs> it's probably difficult. But. Uh, yeah, but it's just the way he, you know, like he has his ability to even in the heat of the moment to stay very, very calm and very cool at the same time with a lot of energy. Uh, and uh, he's uh, he's a very smart, smart uh, tennis player who would notice. Mm small momentum changes not only in the way like tactics where to hit the ball and stuff like that but really you know he can read the person's feeling also almost you have a feeling of so he's he's a very um, very very good captain to have with us and 
obviously with all the legends in the team as well. I mean, it's a, it's a, for a tennis lover like myself, it's heaven. You know, you yeah. open your ears and you learn from all those great players and. It's been a fantastic uh, experience. Yeah, I know. I know this is a podcast, but I wish people could see the how you just lit up when yeah. you started talking about the team atmosphere, the Labor Cup, yeah. and Borg, and the other legends in particular. And John you're, Macron, and John, side as yes, well, which exactly. Is, which is well, you're a legend yourself. Yeah, can't so. forget about it. <laughs> um, but you know, you bring up the calm demeanor. I'm just going to stick with Borg for a little bit. The calm demeanor that he had. Um, I feel a lot of us feel like the Swedish players, in particular. You all sort of exude that calmness. Is that something that um, you learned from Borg or you just grew up that way? Or how, how do most of the Swedes, in my opinion, stay so calm and cool and collected on the court? Yeah, I think it's uh, probably a little bit uh, our character as well, yeah. I have to say, uh, in a way. But uh, yes, and also I think that obviously Bjorn being such a big influence on all of us who started to play tennis in Sweden, we obviously had that as a, as a role model and we, at a very young age, try to copy as much as you, mm-hmm. as you can, you know. So it's, um, it's bo- goes both ways, I would say. Mm-hmm. And the, the concept of the Labour Cup, I, I think it's a phenomenal idea as well. Um, and just being around the players that you've been around, like Federer and Nadal. And, um, can you give us any insight into what... The little conversations that you've had that you've learned from them just mentally or just fun moments well first of all i would like to say how unbelievable generous they've all been you know they they take this competition very very seriously you know they all have a few days to come together and they've done that really really well but they've also been very generous to each other how they've been you know sharing tactics and how they've been cheering each other on and but one one thing that really sticks with me is that is, you know you have the legends biggest legends of the sport there who has so many records and has won so many Grand Slam titles, but they're still so humble, and that I think is incredible. They are not only great, um, you know, tennis players and athletes; they're also incredible, good role models for for the game itself and for 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 in every aspect. Mm-hmm. So that that has struck me how how. Uh, humble and, 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 and nice to actually. I mean, I think that's incredible too. And you can see it. You can see how it's changed, how they interview and post press conferences, post-match press conferences. Um, and just, but being around the Labor Cup from the beginning, you were there from the, for the inaugural event as, as vice captain. Do you feel like that that has changed throughout the rest of the year when the Labor Cup has started? Do you feel like it's changed how the guys necessarily on the tour as a whole? Because you said they've been generous and humble. Do you feel like that's gone across and exuded to the other players as well that haven't had the opportunity to be part of the Labor Cup? I, I don't know, to be honest with you. Okay. Maybe, but, but I haven't been around the, the daily tour enough to, to to be able to say that, what I have to say. But for sure, that uh, it, I, I believe that it has created a nice relationship between the players who has... You know, been together in the team. You know, like it's uh, they they've been. Some of them have done it multiple times, and I'm sure they have created a really good uh, relationship between it themselves as well. So that's for sure. The former Australian Open runner-up Thomas Enquist talking there with Jill Krabus, and Howard. It's interesting to hear Enquist saying that he feels there's a sense of respect and comradeship generated over weekends like this that goes beyond the Labour Cup weekend and extends to other areas of the tour. Do you feel that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I asked uh, Novak Djokovic about that. I, I said to him, look, you, you guys are used to spending time around each other year 
around week after week at various tournaments. You share locker rooms, et cetera, et cetera. I said, but is it different here? And he said, yeah, it's completely different. He said, one thing which I hadn't thought about is he said that week to week, everyone's entourages are allowed in the locker room, the, the coaches, the physios, and all of that. He said, at the Labor Cup, that's not the case. It's just the players, essentially, in the locker room. Uh, and that is part of what allows for more camaraderie, more joking around, more face-to-face time. And he said and that extends then beyond an event like this. It does make it week-to-week more fun to be around people. You have better relationships with other players. And I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I also feel it. It gives players an extra dimension if they play for an entity bigger than just themselves. I've noticed this in Davis Cup over the years and in other team competitions. Is that, is that also a sense that you get? If you listen to the players, that's definitely something they believe. Yeah, I mean, from before this competition started, uh, a few of the players were talking about the idea of caring about it because they're part of a team. You don't want to let somebody else down. Uh, and uh, it's not, again, a an event of the magnitude of a Wimbledon, let's just say. But the players, when you watch them playing, they're clearly caring about it. The, the joy Francis Tiafo showed in beating Tsitsipas, uh, the, the, the slumped shoulders of Tsitsipas uh, after that tell you all you need to know about how much they did want to win or didn't want to lose this weekend and so we move on from the o2 arena in london we go back into the regular tour and that's it for both this week's podcast and indeed the competitive career of roger federer the end of a career is a milestone but the legacy continues forevermore and as howard has reminded us federer himself has said that he won't be a ghost to the game so here's looking forward to well, whatever he does next. I'm Chris Bowers. My thanks to Howard Fendrich, the tennis writer of the Associated Press News Agency, and to you for listening. Remember to check out the ATP Podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other platforms where we post exclusive one-on-one interviews on Wednesdays. And this week's will include my interview with Severin Luti about life inside Team Federer over the past 20 years. From the podcast until this time next week, bye-bye and enjoy the tennis. Enjoy the tennis.